Monday, We Tackle Life podcast. I'm Bruce Hooley. Sorry for the tardy start. Had a little miss, malfunction rather, on the audio recording side of the podcast. We're good to go now. Yeah, I wish I could talk about an Ohio State win over Michigan, but we can't do that. Uh, we will get to that game. A strange debut for Deion Sanders as a college football coach and a faith lesson at the end of the podcast. So let's dive right in. 92-87, Michigan over Ohio State. Okay, it was a great college basketball game. That was everybody's take on the game was it was a great college basketball game. I saw numerous national outlets writing that. I saw numerous local outlets writing that. I mean, I kind of thought that was self-evident when you get three and four playing, right? Uh, I know we don't always get a great game, but I expected it to be a great game, and I wasn't surprised that uh, Michigan was a tough cover for Ohio State, and I wasn't surprised that Ohio State found ways to beat what has been the best defense in the Big Ten all year in Michigan. The more you watch Ohio State, I know that they have deficiencies. They don't have a lot of size. Uh, Sometimes their shooting can be sporadic, but they have so many guys who are capable that typically they're going to find somebody who's working well and ride that out. Unfortunately, Sunday, it was only Dwayne Washington, E.J. Liddell, and C.J. Walker off the bench. And C.J., for Dwayne Washington to score 30, that's a career high. He's not going to usually score that, obviously, or he wouldn't be his career high. But Dwayne Washington is a guy you go, yeah, is he capable of scoring 30? Yes. Is is C.J. Walker capable of scoring 30? No. For C.J. Walker to have 13 or 15, whatever it was he had, Given his role to be a distributor, that's a an amazing output for C.J. Walker. He was really, really good, and he's coming on, and that's a great sign for Ohio State because typically teams in the NCAA tournament that do the best are teams that have a steady hand at the point. The problem is, as it concerns Michigan, they have a steady hand at the point. They got size, they got shooting, and they're deep. And... Um, you know, you might wonder, where did these guys come from? I never heard of Mike Smith before. I never heard of Chaundy Brown before. It's because they're two phenomenal transfer students. Michigan got disappointed by some freshmen who were supposed to show up and did not. Juwan Howard went out and got a guy in Mike Smith who had, I think, 106 career starts. Maybe 105 starts, 106 games. It was a 1,770-point scorer at, uh, I think it was Columbia. Uh, he's a steady hand at the points. Played a ton of basketball. Can't leave him alone. Chaundy Brown started three years at Wake Forest. Like, you start three years in the ACC, I don't know why you're transferring, but I don't know why Luther Muhammad transferred either. So sometimes guys think they can go somewhere else and find a bigger platform, and I'm sure Juwan Howard talks sweetly to Chaundy Brown and Mike Smith, and they're a really good team. I can't stand them, but they're a really good team. I can't stand Juwan Howard. He's a really good coach. Uh, what do I think will happen to Michigan basketball in the future? I think two things are possible, and I don't think either one of them is good for the longevity of Michigan basketball. But the longevity of Michigan basketball doesn't matter right now because it's the present that matters right now, and they're an issue. Now, here's the thing. My overriding takeaway from this game is if Ohio State were to play Michigan again, I would not have any qualms about feeling like Ohio State could win that game. You say, well, they're not going to get – you know, 53 points out of Liddell and Washington the next time. No, probably not. But they're going to get hopefully more out of Justice Suing, hopefully more out of Kyle Young. And here's somebody else that I think will give them more. And if they meet again, and if Ohio State wins the basketball game, I'm going to go out on a limb and make a little prediction. 
you're thinking I'm going to say, oh, Justin Arns will hit, you know, five threes or Seth Towns will come off the bench and hit five threes. No, the guy who they didn't get yesterday to contribute what he normally contributes, and I'm not laying the loss on him. I'm just saying the next time he plays in this game, watch out for Zed Key making more of an impact. Zed Key has been really good against both Kofi Coburn and Luca Garza. He got eh, not dominated, but he did not give as well as he got yesterday against Hunter Dickinson, except for maybe one small slice of the game. Zed Key will help Ohio State the next time if they run into Michigan in the Big Ten tournament or the NCAA tournament. And in the short term, Hunter Dickinson is a big-time problem. But in the long term, Zed Key will be the more impactful player over his career than Hunter Dickinson because Hunter Dickinson is playing his only year of college basketball this year. Now, um, let me say one thing about why I think Michigan won the game. Of course, the 10 threes in the first half and their ridiculous shooting from three-point range was a factor, a big factor. But Ohio State handled that and was right in the game. Michigan was one of 10 on threes in the second half. They hit their first one, and then they finally like became mortal from three-point range. Michigan's size, they got three offensive rebound conversion baskets in the last uh, six and a half minutes. Those were big. Really problematic possession with 6.30 to go when they missed three threes on a possession and got a fourth chance, and Brown got two of those offensive rebounds and cashed the second one. So that's a gut punch possession. But the reason why Michigan won that game was not on the stat sheet yesterday. It wasn't their balance. It wasn't Hunter Dickinson in his big second half. It wasn't because Kyle Young and Justice Suing and Justin Arns all really struggled. The reason Michigan won that basketball game yesterday was because it had much fresher legs than Ohio State. Michigan had a three-week break, and everybody looks at the break as like, oh, it's terrible they had a three-week break. Now, the whole impact of the three-week break is that it benefits your team because it comes at a time where the grind of the Big Ten season is driving you down, diminishing your skills. Why do you hit jump? Why do you miss jump shots typically? Tired legs. That's most of the reason why you miss jump shots. So yesterday, fresh leg Michigan, they got plenty of lift on their jumpers. Their shots look great, and they hit their shots. Okay, so let's see how they look in a month in the NCAA tournament when they've had to play a grind. And if they have to make up some of these games that they missed during the COVID absence, they're going to have more games to play than Ohio State, than Illinois, it may not show up in the Big Ten tournament, but I think you'll find that when you see Michigan a second time, if in fact you see them a second time, they're going to feel the effect of having tired legs that they did not have yesterday. Some people will say that's an excuse. I don't think it's an excuse. I think it's an observation. And I think, obviously, I think it's an astute observation or it wouldn't make it. Hunter Dickinson, just look at his numbers. Coming into the COVID break, he was struggling he was starting to wear down, like all freshmen wear down. Oh, Zed Key, freshman, starting to wear down, playing a lot of games, a lot of practice time, a lot of physical toll on your body that you don't endure in a high school season. And now Hunter Dickinson, oh, he's fresh as a daisy. So I'm just saying that's a factor in the basketball game. Okay, 
Remember our sponsors always, Hemisphere Coffee Roasters. Order your coffee. See the sign right there. It's got the website on it. Easy to find, easy to order. Make sure you mention the We Tackle Life podcast in all caps, and you will get 15% off your order. Hemisphere Coffee, sourced from around the world. They have great relationships with growers in Nicaragua, Thailand, Indonesia. They do a great job, and uh, you will be very happy with their product. It is awesome coffee, and uh, be a repeat customer and get that 15% off and people who taste your coffee if they come over they'll be like wow where'd you get this coffee got it from hemisphere mechanicsburg ohio straight to the grower and the growers in those areas do great things in their community that is a way that you can help people around the world who are living and growing up in impoverished situations hemisphere coffee roasters.com okay uh, what else do I have to observe about the Ohio State game yesterday? There's this school of thought out there, and this was the focus of my story on PressProsMagazine.com, and I fully expect to get pushback on this story. Not because I wrote it to be provocative. I didn't write it to be provocative. I wrote it to be truthful. To me, there's always been this longstanding viewpoint when something happens late in the game well, that didn't really lose the game because those two points or that touchdown or that base hit or that error, uh, you know, could have happened in the first inning or second inning or the third quarter or the first half. Okay, I understand that. I also understand everything in a game builds to a point of decision where one team's going to make a play and the other team isn't. And when one team makes a play, it's because one individual player makes a play or teams up with somebody else to make a play. And so I have never subscribed to the theory that a turnover late in a game is no bigger than a turnover in the first half because you've had an entire game to offset the impact of that early mistake. Justice Suing, who has been really solid for Ohio State most of the Big Ten season after adjusting to a rough start, adjusting to a more physical style of play in the Big Ten. Justice Suing has uh, become a double-double threat. He was great against Indiana. He's been great in a lot of other games. Illinois, he was pretty good. Um, Iowa, very good. He struggled three of the last four games, and he really struggled yesterday. And yesterday was the kind of a game where Justice Suing could have made a big difference on the glass and with what he does offensively, which he only did once yesterday, which is drive the ball to the basket and get that little pull up in the lane. I don't know why he wasn't aggressive. Give Michigan's defense credit. I think Isaiah Livers was guarding him. Livers is a really good defender. But Justice Suing did not have a good overall game yesterday. And at a key point of the basketball game, he made a really big mistake and then he compounded his really big mistake after his inexplicable behind-the-back pass to E.J. Liddell, who had come out to set a screen and then went into the lane because Suing wasn't going to drive off the screen and roll. Suing through the pass. E.J.'s back was turned. The ball wasn't even a good pass. It rolled to Livers. Livers took off. And as they crossed half court, I'm like, foul him right there. Foul him right there. He had missed. I think Livers had missed two free throws on a two-shot opportunity earlier. I know he had missed one. Foul him out front. Give him two shots. You got the fouls. You're not in foul trouble. Foul him out front. It's a double bonus. He's going to shoot two, but at least you're not giving him a, cert a certain layup 
or what turned out to happen, a three-point play. Really bad. And now, with two and a half minutes to go, it's a six-point game. Can Ohio State come back from six down in two and a half minutes? Sure. Is it easy to do against a team like Michigan that has scores all over the floor, a size advantage, hence a rebounding advantage, and fresher legs? Oh, by the way, Ohio State, at the eight-minute timeout, Ohio State was leading in the game in rebounds by, I think, three or four. Ohio State got three rebounds the last eight and a half minutes. Three. Michigan got ten. Fresh legs, okay? Hunter Dickinson put back one minute and 30 seconds to go. Hunter Dickinson put back, I think it was like four-something to go. So the fresh legs and all that, you cannot turn it over and a, and give away a possession, give away a layup, and then turn it into a three-point play. You can't do it. Because had Michigan been in the one-and-one one or something, okay, maybe you can come back from that. But to double the lead from three to six, aside from the tangible damage of that turnover, is the gut punch of giving them a big play with two and a half minutes to go. Then you have to score on every possession, and you have to hope you can hold them either scoreless or to maybe a basket or a couple free throws the rest of the way. And that just wasn't going to happen. So that's, to me where the game was decided. I'm not saying Justice Suing blew the game. I'm saying that particular play was the momentum shifter, the decisive straw that broke the camel's back, if you will, in that loss. And it's unfortunate because Justice has played really well and has really adjusted and all that, and this play doesn't define his career. It's just that hopefully it, Fires him up, and he'll play great against Michigan State later this week. And he'll play great against Iowa, and then he'll finish it out and play great against Illinois. Because it doesn't get any easier for Ohio State. I think they're still a number one seed. Everybody was pretty enamored of them playing Michigan as tough as they played them yesterday. It doesn't, to me, it's like a one or a two. Eh, what's the difference? And I think they're definitely going to be a two unless they, you know, lose to Illinois and Iowa. They might fall off the two line. Uh, which could happen. They're, those are great teams they're playing. I mean, they're two top 11 teams. Michigan, fresh legs, and didn't have to play Illinois. So Michigan looks like, oh, they're one speed and they're unbeatable. Uh-uh, they're not unbeatable. Uh, and they're not going to shoot the ball like they shot it yesterday. So that's my viewpoint of that game. Um, look, their transfers, Smith and Brown, are playing phenomenal. And Ohio State's transfers suing is up and down um Seth Towns his knee he just his knee's an issue and he's not a great defender and so you know Ohio State is what it is I think they're expertly coached Holtman there was a play yesterday where they started down the court and you could just tell they had like a play they were going to run and I'm sitting there thinking all right they're going to score here I don't know how but they're going to score and they ran a bunch of motion and a bunch of passes and Sure enough, they got a layup by C.J. Walker out of it. So Holtman amazes me with what he can scheme. And Ohio State has limitations. You know, they just do. They can't throw it into the low post and get very many easy ones in there. Um, but Liddell is coming on. And the thing I loved about yesterday's postgame, Dwayne Washington was very positive, very complimentary of Michigan. That's Dwayne Washington. E.J. Liddell was mad. 
it was very obvious that E.J. Liddell was mad. It was very obvious that E.J. Liddell really wants another crack at Michigan. It was very obvious that E.J. Liddell took some personal responsibility in that one because he got in foul trouble and had to go to the bench. And this is two straight games now with E.J. having his minutes managed because he gets in foul trouble. And it's, of course, it's the third and the fourth foul that are the issue. But really, I think what he needs to learn is that his he has no, oh, I can get a foul here. It's not a big deal. I only have one. Oh, I only have two. No. The last two games, his second foul has been completely unav- has been cle- completely avoidable and completely unnecessary. And then he picks up the third in quick succession. Now you got an issue. Uh, the third one didn't come in quick succession yesterday, but it did at Penn State. <laughs> Excuse me. So, EJ, don't do that. Don't do that, dude. You're too important to the team. He should certainly know that by now. So, I'm not discouraged they lost. I'm not happy <laughs> they lost. And we'll see what happens from this point on. Okay. Um, a reminder that open enrollment is back. Joe Biden's executive order reopens the health insurance window that typically closes in December for an entire year, but you have now the rest of this month and all of next month to examine your health insurance. I don't expect you to do it. I expect you to let AUIinfo.com do it. Chrissy, her staff, they know every health insurance policy, every nuance of copays, doctors, hospitals, benefits, and you're already paying, whether you know it or not, for a health care insurance advisor. The government since most of the insurance for personal, you know, for individuals is uh, Obamacare, unless you're in a company plan, they know exactly how to navigate that system. AUIinfo.com does, and they'll give you your answers on a Zoom call or on a typed-in chat or a phone call, or if you want to meet in person, you can. AUIinfo.com is the place to go for health insurance um, information. And if you're a business owner, you can change any time. If you're a person in business for yourself, you can change any time. And the other thing AUIinfo.com does that other health insurance consultants don't do is they offer HR guidance, counseling, and real-time updates to state regulations and things like that that change on a whim, on an executive order, on anything. So AUIinfo.com is a great source. Remember them. Try them. No cost to you. Health insurance companies pay. No cost to you. I said it. Take it to the bank, auiinfo.com. All right, yesterday, unbeknownst to me, was the start of Division One AA football, football championship subdivision. Although I don't understand why we call it football championship subdivision because we have a playoff in Division One. That's called football bowl subdivision. I guess they don't have bowls at the football championship subdivision, although their championship game is the Stag Bowl. So if you can figure that out, you're better than me. Deion Sanders is the head coach at Jackson State. Yes, Deion Sanders primetime. Deion Sanders of Florida State. Deion Sanders of the Dallas Cowboys, the San Francisco 49ers, the Atlanta Falcons. And he coaches and uh, commands the, the shadow and consumes the oxygen that you would expect of Deion Sanders. Uh, Dion's team won handily. He has recruited very well. Uh, I think his recruiting class was ranked 83rd in the country, all schools, which is amazing for 
a 1AA school, best in 1AA, Deion Sanders is going to win a lot at Jackson State, and he's going to make a lot of headlines. Although I will say the headline he made yesterday was one of the stranger headlines I've ever seen. He came into the postgame, and he was mad. Again, his team won 50-something to nothing. But he was mad because his gold chains, his wallet, and some other things were stolen, he said, out of his bag. And he ripped the administration at Jackson State for allowing that to happen under the guise of everybody's got to be better. The players got to be better. The coaches got to be better. The school personnel have got to be better. The security guys have got to be better. So he went on this rant, which is kind of embarrassing to Jackson State. Um, and then all of a sudden, a little while after the game, Jackson State issues a statement that Dion's personal items were not stolen. They were misplaced and found. That was the wording they used. Misplaced and found. Like somebody came in and took Dion's bag and, oh, this bag doesn't belong here. Let's move it over here. It's not in a secure location. Let's move it to a secure location. Okay, so end of story, right? Dion didn't have his facts. Dion, no, he's going to hold him accountable, whatever. Dion goes back on Twitter and <laughs> says, no, it was stolen, but they got it back. It was stolen out of my personal bag in my office, and my assistant caught the gentleman in the process of stealing it, but she was alone. No miscommunication, my man, at all. And that was his answer. What is that called? A subtweet? To a tweet from his PR guy. His PR guy's tweet was, no, there's a miscommunication what was happening with Deion Sanders' stuff. So when he came in the presser, he thought it was stolen, but a member of the Jackson State staff had had it secured. And then Dion comes back. Whomever putting out the lie that my belongings wasn't stolen is lying. My belongings were taken out of a zippered bag in my office, and more items were taken as well from my office. We have retrieved them since being reported. My staff member witnessed the crime. Hashtag truth. So there you go. Uh, they host Mississippi Valley State, Jerry Rice University, on Saturday, which will be the start of the SWAC season, the Southwest Athletic Conference. Deion Sanders, never a dull moment. Have I ever had a brush with Deion Sanders? Yes, I have. I'll tell you my brush with Deion Sanders. 1987, 1987, Florida State-Miami football game. Uh, I would say this is, yeah, it was the greatest collection of individual football talent on one field in a game that I ever covered. It was unbelievable. Miami had all their guys, Melvin Bratton, Alonzo Highsmith, um, Michael Irvin, Benny Blades, uh, Russell Maryland. <laughs> well, I mean, they were just so loaded. At any rate, uh, and Florida State was loaded too. They had Dion and, you know, on and on and on. Derek Brooks, I think. Uh, maybe not Derek Brooks. I don't know. But I know they had Dion because I went up to Tallahassee that week from Miami, where I was working at the time, uh, talk and talk and wanted to do a feature story on the matchup between Dion Sanders and Michael Irvin. Now, this was in the era where you could actually get to players. In fact, to tell you how much different of an era that was, I went up to Tallahassee just Flew up there and got a rental car and headed over to campus and like, okay, let's do some Florida State Seminole stories. So I went up to where Bobby Bowden's office was and I 
said, hi, I'd like to see Coach Bowden. Well, there's his secretary. So I went over to his secretary, and I'm like, hi, I'm Bruce Hooley from the Miami News. Is there any way I could get some time with Coach Bowden? She's like, hold on a second. She, like, dials him up, and the door was open. I could see him in his office. And she goes, there's a guy here from the Miami News. Want to see you got any time? She's like, yeah, sure, send him in. I mean, that would never happen now. You couldn't get Ryan Day. I don't know we're in a pandemic, but even in a non-pandemic, you couldn't get you couldn't get a private audience with a coach from a no way. That would that hasn't happened for 15 years. So anyway, I went in, sat down with Bowden for like an hour, talked about all kinds of things, talked about whether he'd ever been asked to be the coach at Ohio State, which the answer was yes. Um, and so then later on that afternoon, I went to practice and I wanted to talk to Dion after practice. Well, Dion came in after practice and his SID uh, said, hey, you know, this guy from Miami wants to talk to you about the game. No, I don't talk to the guy. No, no, I'm not going to talk. Just come on, just talk to him for five minutes. No, no, no. He's putting on this big show. He's not going to talk. And so finally he's like, all right, okay, five minutes. So I sat down with Dion. I started asking about Mike Irvin. And I asked him one question about Mike Irvin. I asked him a second question about Mike Irvin. <laughs> and he like, Stood up. Is that all you want to talk about, Mike Irvin? Hey, talk about me. Come on, man. Talk about me. I don't care about Mike Irvin. So that's my Dion story. And uh, I ended up going back to Tallahassee later that spring to cover Miami baseball against Florida State. And Dion was playing for the Seminoles and running track. And it was a Saturday afternoon. And he would come over and play for uh, Florida State for a while. A couple innings for Florida State. And then he would like hop on a golf cart and they would drive him. You'd see him like driving across campus on this golf cart, leaving the stadium. Wasn't very far to the track. And he'd go over there and he was like pulling off his gear and putting on his track suit and go out and run track. So Dion, stud. Dion played a couple games at least with the Columbus Clippers and of course played for the Cincinnati Reds. So he is one of the greatest two sport athletes of all time. No doubt about it. But he's a character and uh, he's still a character. Whether he is uh, playing or coaching or whatever he's doing, he's a character. So that is my Deion Sanders brush. Okay. Remember, our official law firm is Willis Spangler Starling in Hilliard. If you need an attorney, don't wait. Don't look when you need one. Resolve now. Willis Spangler Starling can handle workers' comp, personal injury, wills estate planning, probate, employment law, all the biggies. And here's what I really love about him. I had something last week and a friend of mine needed an attorney for something that was really kind of nuanced. And I said, oh, Willis Spangler Starling. He called him and they're like, nope, you need to go here. So that's cool when somebody says, here's what we do. Here's what we're really great at. But there are some things that we know that someone else is a little better at. So that tells me they're a firm that has your best interests at heart, not your dollar at heart. And that's what you want in an attorney firm with great character, integrity, and expertise across the spectrum of most of the big legal concerns. They are online at willisattorneys.com, willisattorneys.com. And if you'd like to follow them on Twitter, you'll see a lot of their videos and creative postings and their blogs. On Twitter, they are at Spangler Willis, but remember, online they are willisattorneys.com. Okay. Uh, let's transition to the faith portion of the podcast. I always like to put up my little banner on the live stream so that people tune in. They think they're getting a sports podcast. They go, what the heck is this? No, no. Uh, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, uh, this started coming up on uh, two years ago. Yeah. In late summer, it'll be two years ago. Chris Spielman and I 
uh, decided to do a podcast together. Chris has since become hired by the Detroit Lions in an executive capacity, so he's no longer a regular part of the podcast. He's doing well, by the way, and hip deep in draft prep and all those other kinds of things. So we decided we'd do what people knew us for on the radio, but we'd also be more transparent, more open with things that uh, are the top priority in our life, which is our faith, our growth as disciples, our uh, desire to serve others, which, of course, um, we hope to do well, but a lot of times don't do perfectly. And we thought we'd be really open with our failures and our struggles and all those things in the hopes that a podcast is something you can listen to privately in your car. And a lot of guys in particular know that they need to be more locked in or faith is something that they'd like to prioritize, but they really haven't quite fit all the pieces of the puzzle together. And it's kind of scary, embarrassing, uncomfortable to ask questions. You know, not very many people that I know of look forward to, hey, I'll just go dial up a pastor and go sit in his office. So we thought if we talked about our faith journeys respectively, it might help some people. And we've been affirmed by a lot of people who send emails to us. So that's why we do it. So uh, I was reading this morning, as I always do in the book of Proverbs, and then I was reading in the book of Romans, which is in the New Testament. And I was just thinking a lot about this particular time in America. It's a troublesome time in my other endeavor, a radio show on 98.9 The Answer in the afternoons in Columbus. I deal with a lot of news talk topics. And, you know, the, the hot topic now in the news talk industry is, um, you know, are we going to get back in school? And I've had a few topics cross my plate lately that have had to do with school issues and various points of disagreement in school districts. And there'll be another one today because I'm aware of a situation in a local school district where teachers don't want to go back to school and they've decided they're going to do the bare minimum as a kind of a, it's kind of the teacher version of the blue flu when uh, police officers call in sick or when, you know, airline pilots call in sick things like that. So that'll be my topic this afternoon. And I'm just thinking about that as like, you know, wouldn't it be nice to have a day where we uh, we get along, we uh, don't polarize around certain issues, and that we can pull together. And a lot of that re- uh, requires sacrifice. Sacrifice being that it's not something I really want to do, but I'm a little nervous about it, but I realize I should do it. I'm going to do it for the betterment of someone else as opposed to what I want. And that, of course, is the essence of the Christian life, is serving. It is humbling yourself. It is submitting yourself to how God calls you to live. And most often, people view that as God has these rigid rules and you're not allowed to do the things that you really want to do because those things are fun and you can't have any fun if you're a Christian. You know, they're, they're just things about life that, you know, I'd like to go out and whatever. Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. So submission is a word that has not gotten the greatest <laughs> treatment in the press. We view it as, oh, you know, you're, we're in a culture now where it's like anything you want, anything personal, if someone else asks you to give it up, or if you are impeded from doing what you want, it is an infringement upon your rights. And the word we hear, the phrase we hear all the time is, I deserve that, or you deserve that. 
I recoil when I hear that because I honestly don't want to get what I deserve from God. Because what I deserve is him to look at all my mistakes and my slowness in adopting a servant mindset and really understanding that when Jesus died on the cross, he came to provide the only way for me to be reconciled to God. Like, it's a pretty simple gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ has to be simple because everybody in the world has to understand it. If everybody's going to be held accountable for the decision that they make, and they are going to be held accountable for the decision they make on, who is Jesus to me? What am I going to do with the life of Jesus Christ, the man, and the life of Jesus Christ, the Son of God? He was fully man. He was fully the Son of God. Pretty neat trick, rising from the dead. So, yes, only a... only. The Son of God could do that, or God himself. Well, God came to earth in the form of a human being, Jesus Christ, fully man. He was tempted in every way as we are, did not sin, died on the cross. And so God's standard of perfection, total holiness, no lying, no stealing, no cheating, no no inappropriate thoughts, no inappropriate behavior, no inappropriate language. Nobody can measure up to that standard, of course. And so Jesus came, and he did live up to the standard, and he's provided death on the cross as the sacrifice, as the atonement. And so when, if you can just picture, this is a very elementary way to say it, if you die and your particular day of judgment occurs, you're going to be judged on your life. I don't want to be judged on my life. I don't want to be judged on anything I've said productive here on the podcast. I don't want to be judged on anything nice I've done for anybody else. I don't want to be judged on how much money I've given to certain causes. I don't want to be judged on how much time I've given to certain causes. Because I know that all of that, no matter how good it is, no matter how impactful somebody judges it to be, I know that I've canceled it with my language, my attitudes, my selfishness, my hard-headedness. I know I'm not perfect. I may have a whole big pile of good over here, but I also have a pile over here, and believe me, it's... Every bit is big, maybe bigger, but even if it was teeny tiny, just its mere existence disqualifies me from perfection on my own merits. So thank you, Jesus, for being perfect and offering me an avenue to wash, cleanse, redeem myself with your life. Because God looks at you, sees perfection, but then he looks through you and he sees me and he sees, ah, Bruce claimed Christ's perfection and life and resurrection as his own. And because I've been changed by that, because I understand the great deal I'm getting, I want to live an obedient life, and I want to grow closer to a God that would love me that much. Like, that's why I would want to obey, is because, wow, look what he did for me. Like, why would I disgrace him by continuing to be a jerk? And many people would say, hey, you still are a jerk. If you watch my reaction to a Michigan loss in basketball, you'd say, yeah, you're still pretty jerky. (laughs) I wouldn't disagree. Uh, And it's not like I do it as like, oh, well, I'm covered. I can do whatever I want. No, I try to rein it in, and sometimes my best efforts succeed. Sometimes my best efforts fail. But what I never lose sight of and what I never want you to lose sight of, first of all, is the availability of that perfection that you can have through the eyes of God only, only via Jesus Christ. And so when I am a jerk— when I am impatient, when I do lose my temper, I can, because Satan will 
will definitely use that to poke me, prod me. Ah, you're not perfect. You're not good enough. And the answer to him when he says, you're not good enough, go, I know. Thank goodness Jesus was more than good enough. And so what I would love for people to understand and prioritize, we have this understandable obsession in our culture now with our identity, our own individual personal identity. And people want to uh, clearly define themselves, and it's done in numerous ways, numerous ways people identify themselves. They identify themselves as, let's pick all the ways, they identify themselves along political lines. They identify themselves along racial lines. They identify themselves along gender lines. They identify themselves along sexual preference lines. They identify themselves according to many, many, many different metrics, okay? And people are choosing, like now it's become a thing where people choose their pronouns. And their pronouns that they prefer can be different pronouns than their outward appearance would suggest they would choose by the very nature of who they appear to be. So we are obsessed with identity, and we are obsessed with identity intrusion. You don't dare intrude on my identity. You don't dare tell me that my identity is flawed in any way or my identity is not esteemed in a certain way. And don't dare take my identity. Don't, th- don't be a thief and purchase my identity or steal my identity and then uh, use my identity to gain greater resources for yourself, money, power, prestige, whatever it is. Don't, don't, don't be an identity thief. That's a bad thing. We have companies that are multi-billion dollar companies because they'll protect your identity from being taken. So we prize and esteem and extol and elevate our identity to these amazing heights. But the real identity that you should concern yourself with is who are you according to God who created you, right? God created you. He ought to know what your identity is since he put you together. Like there are times where I used to endorse for a company that had this display inside their store, Layman's Hardware in Kidron. And it was all these odd looking things from the past. And you'd pick it off the thing. Uh, what it, and the, I think the title on it was, what is it? And you'd walk in and you'd look at this thing and you go, I don't know what this, like, what do you use this for? Well, you know who knows what that is? The person who invented it. The person who gave it, in our sense as humans, life. God knows who we are. And so if you really want to know who you are, if you really want to know what your identity truly is, the Bible makes it very clear. All throughout the Bible, there are many different ways that we are identified, we are characterized, we are described in the Bible. I can think of a few. We are children of God. That's in there a lot. First, uh, John 1, 12. Um, I'll uh, look it up and read it for you. John 1, 12 says, To all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. (laughs) 
pretty cool family. Uh, there's There are many scriptures that talk about us being God's temple, a holy temple. Our bodies are a temple. So your identity in Christ is very, very important. But the verse that has always stood out to me as perfect to describe who I am, who my creator, my inventor says I am, uh, is in Ephesians 2.10. For we, meaning children of God, those who've accepted Christ as their Savior and Lord, Savior to spare them the consequence of their sin, Lord to rule their lives, and we submit our will to his. We live the way he tells us to live. Why? Because he loves us and he knows what's best for us. Ephesians 2.10, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, don't get the works confused with the salvation. A lot of people get the works confused, like, oh, I can work my way to heaven. I do this and this and this and this, and I'm acceptable. Nope. Why? Why does that not work? Why do works not work? Because works can be done apart from accepting what Jesus did for you at the cross. But if you accept what Jesus did for you at the cross and then you work because you want to thank him, then the works are attached to what Christ did for you. And that has to happen. Your salvation, your saving grace has to be all Jesus. Salvation is grace alone, Jesus at the cross, by faith alone, you believe in it, Christ in Christ alone. And that's the way that works. But I love that image that we are God's workmanship, his craftsmanship. Years ago, uh, I went to a church where one of the guys was a cabinet maker. And every year we'd have an auction to raise money for the church, uh, for a building project or for charitable concerns or whatever. And he would make the most phenomenal piece of furniture. It was it was an absolute stunning work of art. And I have a piece here that he made that I purchased one year. And it is unbelievably beautiful. And I just think, wow, what kind of talent is a person gifted with to be able to do that? Take that wood and shape it and plant it and stain it and build it. And it's just amazing. And you think about that kind of workmanship. We are that in Christ, according to Ephesians 2.10. So really cool and um, very strengthening. So in this time of obsession with identity, you are who God says you are. And he would know because he built all of us. So that is what I have for you today in terms of a faith portion of the podcast. Appreciate you guys listening. Wish I had an Ohio State win to talk about. I don't. I get back in the saddle later this week, play Michigan State on the road, but thankfully no crazy Spartan fans. By the way, I do think if Ohio State had fans in that building yesterday, they win the game because I think the game would have been officiated differently. I do not know how you are to defend a beast like Hunter Dickinson in the low post if he can push you and you can't push him. That is a topic for another day. Maybe I'll get an answer from Chris Holtman on that for you, and I'll have it for you Wednesday or Thursday. Until then... Have a great start to your week. We'll talk to you later um, on the We Tackle Life podcast. Send me an email, wetacklelife at gmail.com. Review the podcast at iTunes. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you can find it on Patreon. I think you have to search Spielman and Hooley. Now I'm done. Have a good day. <laughs>